this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath adoption in india is known to be a rather long tedious and painful process the whole scenario is marked by a perverse symmetry a huge number of children who are growing up without the security of a family and a massive demand from couples single persons and families seeking children to adopt and yet supply and demand are unable to meet with only a relatively small number of children making it through the legal adoption process annually now in an ostensible attempt to speed up the adoption process the government has introduced some changes it has notified the model amendment rules under the juvenile justice care and protection of children amendment act 2021 and so from september 1st instead of the courts it is the district magistrates who would have the power to issue adoption orders but this change instead of being welcomed has parents and adoption agencies worried what are they worried about what ails the adoption process in india and what is the way forward to make it a rewarding process for children and parents we look for some answers to these questions in this episode and we have with us ms neelima mehta former chairperson child welfare committee mumbai and a consultant for adoption and child protection neelima thank you so much for joining us thank you sampath for having me this is a great opportunity for us to discuss the current scenario in the field space of adoption and also the challenges that we are facing and also to look at the way forward so we can make it a more child centric and a child centered child friendly adoption process right right to start with uh, can you give us a quick overview of the adoption process as it exists right now in india i mean people know about uh, the two broad legislations uh, the hindu adoption and maintenance act 1956 also known as hama or hama and the juvenile justice act 2015 so why do we have two laws uh, instead of one and are they both working well before i jump into the answer response to your question i just wanted to explain that adoption is such a life changing experience both for the child and for the parents because it's creating an emotional bond between people who are not biologically related and it creates a bond which is permanent irrevocable and gives to that child a new family and to the parents who are craving to be parents it's not the umbilical cord alone but the process of adoption a socio legal process that will make them parents so it's really for us it, we cannot emphasize enough the importance of adoption as a beautiful way of building families having said that to respond to you that uh, the adoption process in india has gone a significant change in the last 5 years change uh, with a good intent but an outcome that has brought many challenges between us now uh, between the parents and the children and the adoption organizations that are working are really facing several challenges uh, one of the main thing that happened was a centralization of a system 
with a centralized authority called Central Adoption Resource Authority, which is part of the Ministry of Women and Child Development. At one point, it was an autonomous body. Now it's become a statutory body under the ministry. So the role of CARA, Central Adoption Resource Authority, is to be a centralized, monitoring, supervised, regulatory body under the Hague Convention to bring about a transparency. I think the key word was to bring transparency in the adoption process and to ensure that there are no malpractices, there's no harm caused to the child to prospective adoptive parents as well as the biological mother or the biological parents who were giving up their child. So the intent was wonderful and the idea was to operate and implement the adoption program through a portal, through a centralized portal called Carings. So it's the central information system that will have a repository of all the parents, prospective adoptive parents and children who are legally free for adoption and then to bring together a match. What is this centralized repository called? Once again? It's called, run by CARA, Central Adoption Resource Authority, and the portal is called Carings. So it's Central Adoption Information Resource Agency. Okay. So, so how does this work? Because you, you spoke about these two, this agency serving as a, as a nodal point for matching uh, the parents with the children. How does it work? So how it works is that there is there is what is called the stakeholders in the adoptive process, in the adoption process, with the child at the center, at the apex, and the child is connected together by specialized adoption agencies. Uh, they are the organizations which keep children in their care, awaiting adoption and at awaiting suitable rehabilitation. So the way it goes is that there is a list of adoption recognized agencies which have been approved by the central authority and there's a list of adoptive prospective parents who are interested in adoption and then they file these papers and upload them on the centralized website and the role of that website is really to operate and implement the entire adoption program through what we call quote unquote matching so there is uh, there is a list of parents and there's a list of children there is a home study report and a certain uh, stipulated list of documents once all that is done there is an uh, to me it's an algorithm that matches a parent with a child and currently there is, it's a very challenging situation because if i see the ratio of say, say a ballpark of 2,000 children, we have 22,000 parents waiting. This is not the exact figure. I'm just giving you a ballpark. Now, this is what is happening, that the current waiting period for prospective adoptive parents who are emotionally so charged up for being childless and cannot wait even a day to become adoptive parents. And therefore, this wait currently is anywhere between two to three years for a young child and maybe a little less waiting period for older children. 
So what we are trying to say is that when you're creating the most important relationship in your life, say after a spousal relationship, it's the parent-child relationship. And it's not being done through the umbilical cord as is normally, but through a socio-legal process. So the trauma to the parents and the awaiting child is to be minimized. We should ensure that this is done in a psychosocial, emotional manner in which there's sensitivity, there's compassion, and there is a sense of uh, comfort for the parents who are adopting, and definitely a sense of for the child who's going to be adopted that I'm going to a permanent family. So this is the current challenge between us. Intent is transparency, but the outcome has become a very big waiting period. Right. You spoke of a waiting period of two to three years uh, on an average basis. And there are 2,000 children currently in the uh, in the process, but 22,000 parents waiting. But isn't it also the case that uh, while 2,000 children are in the adoption pipeline, so to speak, there are far greater number of children who are outside this legal process. Uh, can you talk a little bit about their scenario? Absolutely. Sampat, this is a very, uh, very good question because most people say that India has 44 million destitute children. The word used is destitute. Then how come institutions are bursting at their seam? And then you say only 2,000 children in the adoption pool, as it's mentioned. Now, the point is that a child has to be legally free for adoption. This, this particular sentence means that the child should be declared legally free for adoption because there are no legal claimants on the child. All information resources have been explored to see if there are any legal claimants on this child. And if there aren't any, then the Child Welfare Committee, which is a statutory body under the Juvenile Justice Act, after having explored all the formalities and all the processes to ensure that the child has no legal claimants, will declare the child legally. So the process on one hand is to make a child legally free for adoption. The process on the side of the parents is to ensure that all their documents, home study report, pre-adoption counseling, process of counseling during the adoption process and selection of the child are two parallel processes that happen and how to match the two becomes the biggest challenge. So I'm not saying anything is wrong or right, but the intent has to be clear and the outcome has to be best interest of the child and the parents. We are finding a parent for a child and the paradigm shift has come from a child for a parent. So we are saying the reciprocity of need is there. But however, in this reciprocity, the child must receive absolute priority during adoption placement. Right. So you're saying basically that because it is difficult to sort of go through the bureaucratic process of establishing that there are no legal claimants to the child, many of these child children remain outside the legal process. But at the same time, in other countries, I mean, if there is a legal claimant, that claim comes with certain legal responsibilities. But here, when I'm speaking as a layperson, you go outside and you see so many children doing begging at traffic signals. Now, that is clearly not an ideal scenario for a child. And if, even if those children cannot be, say, in the adoption process because they're a legal claimant, but isn't there some kind of a legal claimant whose responsibility is to ensure that this child is properly taken care of? And if that person is not able to do so, then the legal claim gets 
void as it were isn't that how it's supposed to be so sampath you you really spot on came on this issue of of if people are not responsible parents why would they have that child or look and not looking after the child however we must look at the convention on rights of children article 21 and it looks at the fact that every child has the birth right to be with birth parents and therefore birth parents non negotiably are the people who should be looking after the child now if they are not responsible and if they do not have the means poverty should not be the reason to give away the child because what what the state needs to do have is have an evolve a support system where family strengthening prevention of separation prevention of disintegration of the family and supporting the child for education or any other benefit is the first priority and if that system is available poverty alleviation schemes uh, social security and support to vulnerable families that would become the first choice however having said this we also do not have termination of parental rights as a law Uh, where you can take a child away from biological parents because what is the alternative institutional care child care institution placement is the last alternative for any child because the first birth right of every child is to be brought up in a nurturing biological birth family we cannot take away children from parents who we can take them in shelter we can take them in foster care we can take them in alternative care for a period of time till the uh, the family is empowered supervised follow up monitoring to ensure that their skills in parenting their opportunities to be emotionally available parent are taken care of and therefore to declare a child legally free for adoption with children who have parents is not a recommended option at all and so what happens is that the child welfare committee does thorough checkup which is what is taking time to bring the child into the fold of adoption but one more thing to say is that we are not reaching out to child care institutions we are need not reaching out to the 40 million destitute children because when we have done some studies we found that these children are not quote unquote orphan they have some legal claimant they have one parent they have parents who said we are looking keeping the child like a hostel which means for food shelter clothing education now a child needs much more than custodial care and this is where we say that if you are unable to look after and you want to make a better care plan for your child adoption is an alternative we are not encouraging people to give up their child but at the same time a care plan can be made for people for whom the responsibility of nurturing a child is not they are not being able to fulfill that right nilima coming to the current uh, scenario so these new rules uh, which have been sort of uh, made into uh, sort of coming into effect on september 1st they are going to empower the district magistrates to issue adoption orders and there's a lot of concerns uh, which have been raised around that can you please talk about the implications of this uh, rule change sure thank you sampath for asking this because currently this is the challenge that is being faced and 
definitely like every situation, there are two perspectives, there are two ways of looking at it, the intent and the outcome. And within the intent, definitely there are two schools of thought. So the first one, most importantly, the reason given was pendency of cases. That means that in the judiciary or in the legal system, there is a very long wait list of, not wait list, the time period involved in giving the final court order is tremendous. And therefore, they thought that taking this to the district magistrate will reduce the pendency. However, pendency, the cumbersome uh, long process are really one of our concerns because you know the the point over here is that adoption is a socio-legal process whereby there is two very important things severing of parental ties and the second one is re-establishing and creating a permanent legal relationship of parent and child between a child and adults who are not born to them. That means they're not birth parents. Now, this itself requires in the understanding of a lot of professionals that a judicial order will give the full, final, irrevocable rights, legal security and legal protection. However, the argument is that the district magistrate can also do that. But this should be done by a statutory body in the legal court of law. Since these legal rights which accrue to the child, like family name, succession and inheritance, if they are without a court order and are only with the executive order of a district magistrate, we are not so sure what the outcome will be a few years from now, whether it is in the best interest of the child, because it cannot protect child's right to succession, inheritance and family name. The district magistrate is subject to the control of the government and appointed by the state governments under the CRPC uh, rules and therefore under an in, not an independent judiciary. The district magistrate hence draws his power from a code of criminal procedure while adoption is a civil matter. So the functions of the district magistrate are currently so overburdened related to licensing, suspension, cancellation, prosecution, withdrawal, power to arrest, which are all executive administrative functions. Adoption being a civil matter and the child's rights like identity, family name, need so much protection through a legal court order because in future, if anybody contests this, we are not so sure if the child's rights are protected and uh, therefore rules regulations by CARA, that is the Adoption Authority and by JJ Act should really relook at this even though this has come through. We've had tremendous amount of debates and what we call civil society partnership with the government but somehow we haven't been able to break through this mindset that the district magistrate will do this job for the future. I am not so sure pendency of cases, which was even less than 1,000 all over the country, is reason enough because you have taken away the heart and soul of the adoption process, which is pre-adoption counseling, during adoption handholding, and mentoring after adoption. It's not taken away like that, but Counseling doesn't become mandatory. People don't have the opportunity to discuss with a counselor of an adoption organization, which looks after the child to see what are the emotional, psychosocial factors of parenting a child who's not born to you. 
Nilima, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this aspect in a bit. I also wanted to ask you about this other aspect of empowering district magistrates. Now, apart from being able to now issue adoption orders, they've also been empowered under the Act and the changes in the Act to inspect childcare institutions and evaluate the functioning of district uh, child protection units, juvenile justice boards, child welfare committees, and so on. So this is also new. So what, according to you, are the implications of this? See, there's a way to look at it, uh, Sampath, which says that it's a conflict of interest and conflict of rules because you're giving the authority for them to give the uh, report of a final adoption order and, and requesting the district magistrate to do that. And all the inquiry is done by the district child protection unit. Now, you are also authorizing them to monitor, supervise, inspect, institutions and homes so somewhere along they're performing a dual role like somebody who gives you the who has the power to give an adoption order cannot be himself be part of a process where you are reviewing the the documents and of the adoptive parents and performing this dual role of the executive assistance and being part of the system which is called the mission vatsalia or it used to be called the uh, integrated child protection scheme so somewhere along you also see a dual role conflict of interest and maybe difficulty in processing especially with the time factor especially the qualifications of the people who are going to do it and adoption being such a sensitive process you really need uh, what we call subject knowledge you need domain domain expertise in order to do the adoption work do you think the, the these rule changes which are empowering the dms and you know there is also this whole uh, justification which you just uh, debunked basically saying the pendency is the reason for this do they show that there are enough safeguards in place to curb illegal adoption which we've also seen as one of the problems here yes and no sampath yes there are safeguards uh, on paper but somehow because of the legislations that are there in our country, which I we need to come back to because I didn't respond when you asked me, is the fact that there are ways in which to circumvent a long process in their mind to justify why they're doing what they're doing is the time period involved. And therefore, if uh, there's no transparency in the process, there's corruption, there is malpractices, this is the exact reason why which we had a centralized adoption agency. So we've taken a full circle and we are back to the point of transparency and no malpractices in the adoption process. So we find that the statistics are so not believable because if you have so many children and so many private placements, they're not adoption, they're private placements, then somewhere we are amiss in curbing malpractices in adoption. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the legal uh, umbrella or the framework? Like, How do these private placements happen? Even with private placements, you do need to establish the legal basis of uh, parenting. Yes. So coming to, three, uh, to the current legal situation in India, what we need is a special adoption legislation that is child-centered, gender-just and optional and enabling. Exactly like the Special Marriages Act. Why am I saying this? Because that law is an enabling legislation in India where people are governed by their personal laws for succession, inheritance, and family name. 
So just the way there is a special marriage act, I'm, I'm drawing the analogy for people to understand what is the meaning of enabling and optional. That you take recourse to it if you want, and if not, you can choose to be governed by your personal law. So in India, we have three legislations, which are not adoption legislations, but are, adoption, are legislations under which we take recourse. The oldest one is Guardians and Wards Act. For Parsis, Christians, Muslims, and Jews, they have no personal law on adoption and hence take a child under guardianship till the age of 18. And after 18, I have to make a will in the name of the child for the child to inherit. So this is not an adoption law. It's a re- We take recourse to it as the Guardians and Wards Act of 1890. The second legislation is a Hindu Adoption Maintenance Act, which is relevant to all Hindus. And who is a Hindu? Someone who is not a Parsi, Christian, Muslim and Jew. So the definition of a Hindu is someone who practices Hinduism, who could be converted to Hinduism, but who is being brought, bring, going to bring up the child as a Hindu and the person is a Hindu. So the giver and the taker have to Hindu. Now, under Hindu adoption law, there are two ways to do it. One is through the legal process of taking the child's documents to the city civil court, filing a petition, getting a permission to adopt, registering an adoption deed at the registrar's office in Bombay, it's at the customs house, and then getting an adoption deed which says this is a full, final, irrevocable adoption. Now, in this, there are three things. First is that if you have a boy, you cannot adopt a boy. If you have a girl, you cannot adopt a girl. And the mother is only a consenting party to the husband who's adopting. So it's not gender just, it's not fair where the mother is, it's a very patriarchal law, which is to provide a son to the sonless and a girl to somebody who didn't have because of religious reasons. So it's a very parent-centered law to provide a son so that you can do all the procedures required for a man to reach a what, what they say, do all the funeral rites. A girl needed to be adopted because of Kanyadan, which was considered to be uh, an imperative duty of a Hindu man. And so when the codification came in 1956, they were allowed to do this. Okay, And then within this period, because it's so patriarchal, it's a man who needs this. And so woman or his wife becomes a mother by being the by default by being the wife of the petitioner so this is the hindu adoption now that's a special hindu adoption maintenance act now a special law usually doesn't supersede i mean supersedes a general law which is juvenile justice act in the juvenile justice act care and protection have been included because we wanted children in need of care and protection to be in it and a chapter on adoption was included which again is is being questioned by a lot of legal luminaries to say that you know adoption is a civil matter the entire law is is draws its jurisprudence from a crpc so a criminal uh, law based in that cannot give civil powers to that but that's a point of view of of a certain section of the judiciary so currently we have the juvenile justice act care and protection under which we do adoption and the adoption regulations are by the cara which is central adoption authority which is a statutory body under the ministry of women and child development and they have their adoption rules so when you read them together you read the rules of JJ Act and you read the rules of uh, CARA, 
they have to be read together and so many places there'd be conflicts. And therefore, you must know that as of now, the adoption regulations are not notified and not only the JJ Act rules have been. Right. You said something about the general law superseding the, the personal law. So that, that doesn't mean that the JJ Act is like supersedes? No, JJ Act doesn't. Uh, Harma, uh, because the non-obstant clause uh, has to be there where it says that the special laws supersede the general law. And in the general law, especially if it draws its power from CRPC, while the matter is a civil matter, it uh, uh, definitely needs adoption as a civil perspective. And therefore, the same argument goes to the district magistrate, that if you are giving powers to the uh, rights to a child that accrue when the child is 18 or through adoption, it should be a civil matter because adoption is a civil law under a civil law and a civil matter. While uh, the judiciary will do it, uh, district magistrate draws his powers once again from CRPC. So we are very concerned about the outcome in the best interest of the child. So Sampath, whenever we do all this understanding, analysis, review, and de- deliberations and debate, I think one single focus for me is the best interest of the child, the child rights that accrue in the name of family name, succession, inheritance, and thirdly, the compassion. The compassion, the emotional process of preparing parents to be adoptive parents through a child who's not born to them and preparing the child what it means to have permanent parents. Otherwise, you have the current situation of problems, of dissolution and what we call disruption. Right. So, Nilima, we are running out of time. So, one final question before we wrap up. So, how, how is this in other countries? Why doesn't India have, I mean, you, you spoke about the HAMA and the Juvenile Justice Act. The Juvenile Justice Act, again, is, uh, is, is, a, is a criminal act and adoption is just one provision which has been added to it. It's not, we don't really have a single legislation that is dedicated to regulating and streamlining the adoption process. Like, how, how do you, why do you, why is this the case and how do we, how does it compare with other countries? if you are looking to sort of change this and move forward? So, Sampad, this is a good question to end uh, our dialogue with. That very, very important for all of us who are subject experts in the area of adoption, and I have worked for 40 years. My doctoral research was also on this adoption law, that we need a special adoption legislation that is not combined with any other law, but especially for adoption, which will take care of all children who are legally free for adoption, it will ensure to the child legal rights that accrue to a child born in biological wedlock, means a biological child born in lawful wedlock. And therefore, if you want to give the same rights to a birth child and an adopted child, you absolutely need a special adoption legislation just like the Special Marriages Act, which is not may not supersede anything, but it is enabling it is optional, it is supportive, and most importantly, it's child-centered. That's all I have to say. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Nilam. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was so good to hear you share your uh, thoughts, insights, and observations based on years of uh, experience in this domain. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you, Sampath, for having me. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues.
In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.